0: dear people. Welcome to For Real. I'm Kim Stewart and today I had the pleasure of chatting with an author and musician who knows a lot about Plan B. Strawn Coleman was a touring musician and songwriter for years and he had a very robust prayer life until he became so sick he could not get out of bed and he could not muster the energy to pray as he had before. Plus, he was rather irritated with the God of the universe who suddenly seemed very silent and very unwilling to get Strawn the help he needed. If you have ever felt like God is not very cooperative, or that he is distant, or that prayer is for other super spiritual people, this is a conversation for you. I loved it. Here is my chat with author and musician, Strawn Coleman. John Coleman, it is an honor to have you on For Real. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you. such a pleasure to be here with you today. appreciate it.
0: Uh, A good morning to you and a good afternoon to me. You were very kind to accommodate my across the world situation because you are talking to me from New Zealand, correct?
1: I sure am from the future and I can promise you it is bright. (laughs) The sun has risen. The world is well. So That's good. you're going to be okay. You're okay, going to be okay. Good.
0: That's a good notice from, from a few hours in the head. That's awesome. I've been to New Zealand years ago. Um, and oh. it's one of my very favorite places. I'm sure people tell oh. you that all the time. Yeah. Folks where did have you go? Visited. Where did you visit? We went to both the North and the South Island, and mm-hmm. um it was on a choir tour a million years ago. um oh, wow. it was just really wonderful. I remember we had host family stays um and everyone was very kind and very gracious and I oh. loved it and it's astonishingly beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. place that you live
1: yeah, it ain't bad. I'm not yeah. gonna lie you know what the thing about New Zealand is because I've traveled a little bit about this around the states and seen so many amazing things, but I think. What is unique to New Zealand is that we have such a thin coastline, you know, I mean, in one part of the country, it's 45 minutes from east to west coast. So within a couple of hours drive, you've passed a mountain and a river and a lake and thick forest and, you know, white sand beaches and black sand beaches. So then there's in New Zealand, it's all so compact. It just yes. feels so paradisical. But um, yeah, we, we do live in a very beautiful, oh. beautiful, I'm, I'm spoiled. You totally
0: sure. are. You totally are. But <laughs> yeah. it's good that you know it because then we don't dislike you for it. Um, <laughs> Strahan, you have written a beautiful book. It is called Beholding, Deepening Our Experience in God. I have roughly 8 million questions, but I just <laughs> want to start by saying, you know, every now and then I read a lot for my job, both for this podcast and another podcast and just for the, the coaching work that I do. And it's a joy for me to read. But every now and then a book comes across the way that ends up looking like, um, it was attacked by a highlighter by the time I'm done. (laughs) And your book was that book for me. I just sunk my teeth and toes in it and did not want to come out. And it is a remarkable book. It's a rereader and I'm not a rereader. There's so many books in the world. I can't possibly, but this one I'm, I'm going to start over. Um, and, but here's the thing. Here's my confession. I resisted reading this book at first. And the reason I did is because I worried that it would be too mystical for me. I'm a very boots on the ground kind of girl. I clean a lot of toilets, John. Okay. Making a lot of brownies, um, a lot of emotional swings with teenagers in our house. And so the idea of beholding prayer intimidated me. From the start, though, you ground this story in your story. And I'm just going to. Respectfully submit that you are a least likely to write this book. Your background (laughs) and where you started with Jesus and started in your life did not necessarily point to a book about beholding prayer. So I'm already on your team if you're a least likely, because I'm a least likely. So I'd love for you to tell me, tell our listeners how you used to view prayer. So start at the very Mm. beginning and how you used to talk Mm. with God um, Mm. when you were the least likely.
1: Yeah, I mean, prayer, I mean, my faith really, and, you know, I was like any 20 year old man, I'm full of energy, full of beans, um, and really seeing God as uh, someone to partner with, to do things, you know, lots of prayer, like I, mean, I was a musician for years. So I was constantly praying, God, would you move in this way and would you do this? And I grew up Baptist. So repentance was a really big part of my um my life, obviously still is, but um, you know, it was was almost like the central focus of my prayer. And so I think a lot of my prayer I used the language transactional. I, I think I just had this relationship with God that was kind of a working relationship. You know, I I knew how to partner with God to do stuff, I knew how to pray for things, I knew how to Ask him to move or whatever. I'm from a charismatic background, so that was really, you know, natural for me. Um, but I didn't know. I, I I didn't know how to be with God. I, I didn't even know that there was a category that was worth pursuing. That was God wants to be known. Do you know what I mean? I, the gospel I had and my understanding of faith was really God wants to do stuff with us. He wants us to be active. Um, and uh, what would I do if I was just to kind of spend time with him and accept his love or make him sort of a source of pleasure and desire so i i was a very active person and found this kind of prayer very difficult uh it's really only by force that i by force by circumstance by suffering really that i actually began to ask the question of is is that really it in terms of prayer like is is knowing god really about doing things together about um head knowledge about understanding and doing or is there something deeper going on um and I guess I'm probably lucky that I went through a life circumstance that forced me to answer, ask that question because it's not in my nature to to have sorted out.
0: Always in my life too. I'm not. I'm typically forced. <laughs> Hardly ever yeah. do. I fully cooperate unless um, I'm forced. And for you, the tipping point. You write about this a little bit. Um, was that you had a health crisis that required you to not be that 20 year old, to not be running so fast, so hard. Um, And not just that, it wasn't just the, the physical pursuit of your life, but also spiritually. um, You know, you, you were seeing the, the beautiful fruit of miracle after miracle and provision after Mm -hmm. provision. I also share Mm -hmm. a charismatic background and I, I know that language and I know that kind of meeting and I know that kind of hunger. The reins absolutely pulled hard and back, and you were um, on your own and quiet, forced into being quiet, which for a runner is real rough. In fact, you write that you're that <laughs> beholding prayer saved your spiritual life. That is a big statement. Yeah. Tell me more about that because that implies that your spiritual life was on the rocks.
1: Yeah yeah and and the funny thing is I mean I so one of the things about the charismatic background is is so much of the emphasis in 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 those communities is around the miraculous the engaging the sort of you know the gifts of the spirit mission I mean all of that is a magnificent and so wonderful um but it is possible and I and my life was a perfect example of this it's very possible to have God doing a lot in your life and even to be operating in a gift and, you know, really flourishing in that gift in my music, Um you know, that we saw a lot of miraculous provision, a lot of people being healed, a lot of people being set free. It's possible to be surrounded by that, but not to actually have a deep knowing, like a union, like an unlonely closeness with God. And I can say that from personal experience, but I can also say it from lots of my friends who you know, may see lots of amazing works of God in their life. And maybe even listeners can relate. You can sometimes be in the best season of your life, very much knowing that God is doing this and doing that. And yet deep down, still feel a divine loneliness, still feel like I just don't feel like I can grasp God. And so for me, I went from traveling and touring and singing and recording albums and doing mission work and all this miraculous energy to just being sick, like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles per hour. And I found that I was good at a working relationship with God. I knew how to do stuff beside him, with him. You know, it's not like I was in my faith was in tatters, but I had no idea how to just appreciate and love God for him, for who he is, for his nature. And I think that's when I say beholding save my spiritual life, what I mean is that It saved me from playing in the shallow end with God and just enjoying what he gives me and not enjoying him as my primary thing. And what sickness did was I spent basically a couple of years, maybe 70, 80% of the time in bed, migraines, fatigue, flu after flu, hundreds of dollars a week on doctors, all kinds of tests. Nobody could figure it out. Man, I'm just having anxiety attacks almost every day, thinking I'm dying. You know, i got no idea what's going on. Not seeing friends or family for a long time. I kind of just disappeared in the world. And in that period of time, I I had a couple of wrestles. The one one of them was, is God good? Like, is God good? Because he's not healing me and he's not speaking to me. And how do I reckon with that? What am I meant to do there? I've seen him do miracles. It's not like I, I know he can do stuff. Right. There's one question I, I had to wrestle with. But the other was, if God loves me, what does it look like to commune with him when I have nothing to offer? nothing to I mean even if I interceded for hours I still had 10 hours of nothing to do right. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to be with how 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 God had to become my ultimate pleasure and in that moment I realized I'd actually been a consumer of God I knew how to take from him I knew how to give to him I knew this transaction relationship but I didn't know how to just take pleasure in him and let God take pleasure in me. And that, that was the life that's when I say it, it it saved my spiritual existence or my, it saved my faith. I mean, like it stopped me from staying on the surface with God and, and showed me who he really was, or at least began to, and for that I'm truly thankful. Yeah.
0: So this is what's messing with me. I won't talk about it too long. I'll just let you talk because I'll probably start crying. Listeners of this show are very, very used to me weeping, so no, <laughs> but we're so we're new friends, so I don't want to learn yeah. <laughs> you. um your writing is teaching me this book in particular is teaching me that I have been missing that richness and that depth, not for lack of desire um but unwittingly, I think I have viewed these com- my conversations with God, and I actually really love prayer. I'm the weirdo who really has always loved not just the idea of it but it but i when you talk about typically what happens when i'm approaching jesus or or seeking his presence or seeking the presence of god i fill the room i mm. talk <laughs> um. right i mean i have a podcast i love talking so much and i really love listening um <laughs> but there is this this as you say this transactional thing that i realized that you know even even the points where i'm praising god in prayer um I'm really kind of hungry for him to show himself to me in a way that I quickly understand. Do you know what mm. I'm saying? So yeah, I this do. idea of transactional versus relational, or, you know, I'm I'm mm. coming to God with things and wanting to get from him, um, but not necessarily just hanging out with him. Mm. Will you talk to me about that? Because I I think, and you write about this in the book, I don't think this is just me. It is partly me. It's partly us, but I think a big part of this also is just where we live. I mean, most of what we do day in, day out is a transactional relationship. You give, I get, and vice versa. So we would be silly to think, I have been silly to think that I could separate that and not have that idea be a part of even my prayer life.
1: Mm, mm, yeah. I mean, consumerism, it's the air we breathe, you know? And mm. I think this was a big revelation for me because. I mean, just because I wrote a book on it, by the way, doesn't mean that I don't daily have to keep bringing my heart back into rightness, you know. And I think I, I like, I think that's just the place of grace for all of us. Is every day we have a thousand little victories and a thousand failures, and that's just being a human being, and that's wonderful. And I, so I think I, I, I'm with you that the struggle is real, but I do think. You know, our economy is built on consumerism, and that's that's actually a recent thing. This was a very intentional design by intellectuals in the the early 1900s to try and generate an economy that could grow, especially after World War II, uh, where people, the idea was that to create an economy where people constantly want, so that they constantly buy, so that the economy keeps growing. Now that's a way of seeing the world. That's not just like a. that's not just about money. That's actually a way of seeing the world that says is you never have enough. You always need more things are what make you happy. And I think what I was realizing was that I translated this into my prayer life in this sense of I keep I want God for things. In other words, um, God is the God who gives me gifts or experiences, you know, in the charismatic world, it might be, you know, manifest presence or emotional experiences or visions or revelation. And of course, there's nothing wrong. I mean, what parent would ever say, you know, when their kid says, can I have something to eat or can we go? No parent says, oh, you know, that what are you only asking me for those things? Um, that only becomes a problem if we don't spend time just saying, God, what's on your heart? and And where are you today? And I just want to almost like a you know that maybe the best metaphor i can think of is we know how to appreciate a good piece of art you know what i mean if you go to a, a live music show you generally don't go saying i really need to understand what's going on in this relationship i'm going to go to a music show do you know what i mean or i need to find <laughs> right. out what's... you 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 sort of go to engage in this sort of transcendent moment of beauty where you're just caught up into it and a, a good song isn't something that conveys a scientific fact a good song is is when you can be present to joy and suffering and relationship and tension. So we know how to experience art. We know how to experience a sunset. And I think in in beholding prayer, what we learn to do is see God that way. You know, we learn to be the kid that just cuddles into bed in the morning and gives it, you know, my four-year-old, he loves coming in. He's cuddles. That's where he's cuddles, dad. He crawls in and we may be adults and, and maybe cuddling's not the easiest metaphor <laughs> to wrap our head around. But I think that there is the sense in which we drop the consumerism that says everything needs to give me some kind of value. Everything has to give me back something for it to quantify, qualify as good. God is worth just my time and my attention. And I just want to sit and give him myself, my awareness, my body, my life, and just say you're worthy. And if you give me nothing right now, God, that's time great spent. I don't need answers. I don't need feelings. I don't I mean, wonderful. Please, I love to experience your presence, but I don't need that. What I need more than all of that is you. Um and I I just don't think I was taught that really. Um, that was like time wasting, you know, especially in evangelicalism, which is I think, you know, you need this mixture of charismatic evangelicalism. I mean, we're very work effective, we're very effective people, and nothing wrong with that, but um, all work, no play doesn't make a relationship that makes a, a colleague. And, uh, I think some of us can get stuck in that colleague space with God by, by not just admiring him and adoring him and, and pursuing him,
0: you know? Um, yeah. So you yeah. suggest, I love the way you write about this and talk about this and how you were, you're, you're inching toward that now. The, um, idea that it's not one or the other necessarily. So you have this great metaphor of being in a canoe. And how there are two it, there are two ways we move in a canoe. We float sometimes and we paddle sometimes. And I live in a part of the country where we we have lakes, and so that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. That there's sometimes you are just the beauty of that moment is sitting just even on your back looking at the stars, looking at the sky, paying attention to what's on the shore. And I think that's what you're talking about with beholding prayer. But Th- that doesn't mean we stop really laying out our hearts and yapping yeah. sometimes too, right? I mean, God says yeah. in scripture, pour out your hearts like water, right? So yes. that's pretty unfettered. Yeah. That's pretty not, you know, that's not really floaty. That's more paddly. So yeah. talk to me about that, that balance that we do both of those things.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm an intercessor by trade. Mm. So, I mean, back in the charismatic days, you know, I, I went through a time... <laughs> For example, where a friend and i we were both prayers, we met and prayed nine to four every day, five days a week for like two or three years you know, and what? we just went to i know we just went to like intercessory prayer groups and prophetic groups and and that's what we did that was our passion and and dream so amazing. my background is very much in the contending praying for and sort I've seen a lot of amazing um god do amazing things in that space, so I am certainly not um advocating for a switch up and but I think what i what I found is, is that in that metaphor, God is the river. So whether we're canoeing or floating, we are moving with him. And I think that's the gift of prayer is that we are joining a conversation. We're not beginning it. friend was telling me um, the other day that in the original Hebrew for the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, uh, one of the dimensions of that Hebrew word could be translated as conversation. In the beginning was the conversation, and the conversation was God. And I love that because Father, Spirit, and Son are interceding and praying and engaging. They are the river. And so we can wander into that and just explore and express and lie flat in the in the movement of God and, and adore Him and experience Him and contemplate Him, whatever language you want to behold Him. Um, but if we're interceding or if we are doing petition or if we're crying out, and you know, uh, I think it's six, Ephesians 6: 6 eighteen where Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times and in all ways. So he's he's not even trying to limit it down. It's really like we are just in the canoe, you know, navigating with our own co-creativity, we're co-laboring with God, we're paddling the eddies, we're kind of feeling things for people in the world, and we're praying into those things. But I would argue that we can even do that in a beholding disposition, which comes from a place of love and compassion and witness. And I think what I experienced in previous intercessory circles was the sense that God is distant and we need to bring him in. And, and it's often praying from an ache, it's praying from a, a place of, um, it, no one would, would name it this way, but it almost the way we pray reinforces this idea that we've got to bring God in, we've got to get him to do stuff. I think what I've learned through spending more time just adoring God is that I'm praying with him and from him for him in the world so I sit and I wait for the Holy Spirit to fill me with a sense of adoration for him I thank him for for homing himself in me and then when I pray for others it's more actually like I'm just joining with his compassion and his grief and his desire and so even then my intercession is rested and free and led and beautiful so I think that's what I, in these metaphors is is that there is a kind of prayer that is just adoring God. But if we sat around adoring God all the time, we wouldn't be obey, obeying Jesus' command to a mm. ask, seek, and knock, and b to to pray like the persistent widow. You know, I mean, we right. imagine if Jesus only spent time floating in the river, you know, he wouldn't yeah. be laying his hands on the sick, and you know. Right. But I think the way the the intercession, the petition, the praying, the gifts, all of that is transformed when it flows from this place of beholding. It doesn't come from a place of insecurity. It comes from a place of profound peace and gentleness, of optimism and compassion and witness, And that transforms our mission in the world. That actually transforms who we are in the world, as well as the way we pray. And I think it's actually even more powerful to pray in God's heart for his people. So yeah, that's not that's too convoluted. Beautifully,
0: no, it's beautifully said. I, you're reminding me of my grandma who was a, was a dedicated woman of prayer. She was also real feisty. Um, so I really <laughs> loved awesome. that juxtaposition. Yeah. She was yeah. a fantastic woman. Um, and at the very end of her life, she lived to 96 and she, at the very end of her, she found Jesus in her fifties. And so, um, and then just like ran full throttle toward him until the end, but she had been kind of a, um, there was kind of a spinal cord of prayer in our family and she was it. She was, she, she took this very seriously with, um, my grandpa as well. And there was a time a few years before, um, she died where she said, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to pray, which was a shock to me. Cause she wasn't acting tired, but it was like her spirit was just tired a little bit. And um, she did not say this to me. She said it to my mom and I felt alarm. (laughs) I was like, what? She can't be tired. She must keep praying for us. I'd almost turned it into a, you know, I don't think I was superstitious at all about it, but I knew the weight of her prayer and that that was a consistent, beautiful gift she gave to our family. And so circling back to what you're, you know, the idea of intercession, but also those times when you can't, you're just. You're not able to, you write a little bit about brain fog and the way your body was responding to the illness in your body. And um, one of my dear friends, Catherine Wolf writes beautifully about this, about, um, you know, how you protracted suffering. Right. And what that means in terms of prayer, what that means in terms of being with God, interceding or praying for people in your life when you don't have words and you don't have the energy. Um, I love it that you write about that and that you talk about that because um, that's a space that a lot of people find themselves or know folks who are in that moment now, or a very long moment, a very long season. So talk to me about how that idea, how that merges with um, this idea of beholding. And I really want to know particularly how this works in your family. So like with your wife and with your kids, when there have been times when you you don't even have the energy to pray for your kids, or you don't have the energy to pray for your wife or with your wife, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I mean, all those years ago when I, when I became unwell, so it was 10 years ago when I started, when I went from this music, music life to um, sickness, and I'm still very unwell and have been actually quite bad the last couple of years. Um, And so I think what that did for me with prayer was for starters, it opened me up to realize how much our church culture is built around healthy people uh, it's very easy to get lost in the church, uh, and I'm and I'm still largely functional. You know, I can still talk and move, and I don't need a wheelchair, and I don't have a visual or hearing, um, you know, disability of any kind. Um, so I'm still pretty, and I have really struggled. I've really noticed how easy it is to get left behind in, in energetic, especially charismatic environments. You know, if chronic fatigue if you're chronic fatigue, it's very hard to be in a charismatic environment. Yeah, right. You don't have a lot to give, right? <laughs> and and once people pray enough for you to be healed and you're not, you're kind of the broken project. Uh, so I think what what beholding was for me was almost a releasing into God's grace. It was a rediscovery of the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed, blessed are they, man. blessed are you when you hunger and thirst, blessed when you mourn, like, you are the blessed ones, and I think for me that was shock. I, I just had never seen that in a way like I did when I was sick, and so I began to pray, God, give me the special blessing that comes with my tears. You know, give me give me the special blessing that comes with my sickness. And what I discovered that really was was just a letting God letting go, uh, letting God do the work of prayer. Um, of listening to him, and so beholding was really about trust. It was about saying, "God, I trust you. I trust your love. I trust what you're doing." And if I can't see you and feel you, and my anxiety and my grief, um, I'm going to trust that what I I can't see is goodness and love you're doing. And so, I think how that translates to my fa- translates to the family is that I've just had to bring that trust to my family. I mean, my biggest grief is that I cannot get back the time that I haven't spent with my kids. You know, i got three boys, you know, 10, 8, and 4, and they are active, energetic. I mean, I live, you would not think I was a beholding folk if you came to my our house. is generally <laughs> loud and vivacious and chaotic, and there's something beautiful about that. Um, they've missed out on, on a dad who can play soccer with them, uh, who can sometimes even just can't get out of his chair for months on end, and I can't get that back. And I think when I when I think about that, I think about the struggle I've had to pray with with the brain fog and the rest of it, I think I just need you, God. I just need you. I need to trust that not only do you have my children's lives at more interest than my own, but that you can restore that actually that this life isn't isn't all there is. You know, I mean, I may get well in in tomorrow and have the rest of my life with my kids but they still missed out on a childhood without a healthy dad. I can't get that back. And so part of me, it focuses my energy to trust God. It focuses me to to remind myself this life is not that, you know, it's easy to say when things are kind of okay, Oh, this life's wonderful and it's all great. And don't think too much about heaven, but actually that only works for really well. People with money, (laughs) it doesn't work for the rest who are like, "I, I can't get this back. So, I think beholdings help helped me to do those two things, live a life of abandoned trust, which has brought me immense peace and intimacy with God, because I've learned in all situations to say, God, I trust you. What I can't do, you can do. And so I give you my body. I give you my mind. I give you all my energy. um, But also, I trust you with what's to come. I, I need this kingdom. I relate to the New Testament where it says, take joy, my friends, in all of your trials, because you are... Um, being fashioned in perseverance and endurance and you're receiving the gift from god's so the practice of beholding which is really gazing upon god as he gazes upon us has helped me to live open-handedly it's helped me to live naked before god in my own self to acknowledge my weakness and suffering but also to just hope greatly in the god who sees me uh, and is able to do measurably more than anything i can imagine so that's how I've kind of worked with it, and on my best days, I can pray with my kids and talk with them and be open. On my worst days, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a vegetable, and I just have to trust, trust God's grace, uh, and that He, when He says, "Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who weep," that He meant it, and I can lean on Him. Yeah.
0: everybody just a quick break here to let you know about a fun resource for all of you visual people did you know that you can watch for real on youtube it's true you can see when i'm wheeze laughing off camera take note of when the lawnmower kicks up outside my window and see all of these conversations unfold in real time so if you are more of a watcher than a listener head on over to the kimberly stewart youtube channel and pop some corn we'll be happy to see you there and now back to the conversation i think you're the word you use am i making this up annoying that a word yeah okay yep
1: I it's a that great word, word
0: okay good well because we're writers we can make up stuff and no yeah, one questions us
1: i'm always making up words
0: <laughs> so here's where i just love for you to and there is there is beautiful unraveling of this in your book you go into um how do we do it, right? You just said this was an hour for you in the morning. It may not be an hour for everybody starting out or even ever. It might not be a continuous thing. I would love for you to walk us through a couple things. First of all, how do we get some noise out of our lives? You have a very compelling chapter that I'm going to make every person in my family read about silence and how we are missing things in our lives because we don't have it anymore. We do not have silence. And I even live I, live, I didn't tell you this, but I live in Iowa. It's pretty quiet here. I mean, generally, I'm not in the middle of Manhattan, but it's loud. My life is loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do I unnoise and then talk us through how do we behold? You know what?
1: It took me years to realize this, but I, I figured out in the end, after years and years of being sick, that one of the main reasons that I was able to experience God was the extreme clearing that happened in my life. Now, I'm really lucky. Well, was it lucky? I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't really want anyone else to go through what I went through. But um, maybe my example can serve as like an extreme case of of our lives. But I was unable to watch Netflix or look at podcasts or do anything for years. And I sat around looking out a window. Now, I can honestly say looking back on it that it wasn't that there was any sort of major aha moments, or that I knew what was going on. I just got a couple of years into this process, looked back, and said, "You know what? All of this space has made me more creative. It's made me more calm. I've begin to understand my feelings and emotions much better. Um, I can tell what my body's doing, and I can actually get a sense of continuous um, consciousness with God, a sense of awareness of God all the time." Now, I hadn't done counselling. I wasn't reading theology books. You know, it's not like any of this. All of this was purely by clearing the way and seeing what rose up within me. And so unnoising for me is partly the recognition that we live in a society that humans have never lived in with a degree of intensity of noise that is unfounded. And I mean, in every sense, You are, if you're driving into the city, you're getting hit on every angle by sound, by visual stimulation, by busy crowds and traffic. Uh, if you're not, you're probably watching Netflix, which is just sort of artistic noise, um, phones, social media, the constant flow of the news cycle, um, overpopulation in particular areas. None of this stuff is bad or evil. I'm not saying any there's sure. anything wrong with the noise, but if we can't recognize that that is our default,
0: and that it's relentless, we,
1: and that it is utterly relentless, and that it's not going to stop. In fact, it's only going to continue to increase. And I would say that the politics of the last eight years are a perfect example of that. You just keep thinking, we'll get through it, we'll get through it. But then another country and another, you know. So I think what I realized was that so many people struggle with prayer because they're using their phones a lot, which basically ruins your attention span and your brain. They are used to stimulation all of the time, not because they even seek it out, but purely because they're just overstimulated. Where we live, yep. Where we live, we get down to pray, we close our eyes, and what happens? It's madness. It's our so loud. Not, right. we're distracted, we have a numbness of heart. And mm. I think that's possibly the most important thing. If there's anything I know about you know, streaming show our access to shows and information is it numbs our heart. And we come to pray and we say, I can't see God, I can't feel God. I find prayer hard, my mind is all over in a million places. And we think it's because of our spiritual, you know, we think it's because we're doing something wrong spiritually. Actually, it's not. Our bodies are just basically poisoned with noise. And so what we need to do, if we want to have a great prayer life, it starts with thinning out our lives. It starts by looking and saying, how do I just bring the stimulation level down a bit? How do I redisc, how do I kind of capture my own mind back from social media and emails and texts and Netflix and all the rest of it? Um, how do I uh honor the body and the brain that God's given me so that it can work in harmony with the Holy Spirit so that when I come to pray, I'm living in a constant awareness of God. Uh, and, and I would argue that it is impossible to, to participate in unceasing prayer if we are tied to our phones and media and you know stimulation all the time. The body is just not made for it. We need to slow our bodies down so that when we come to pray, it's not like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour it's just, just like gently wading into the water so annoying is 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 a really big part of that um, because it you know if you try and behold god if you close your eyes and say hey god let's talk and you want to focus your attention on god which is an ethereal you know hard enough as it is and you're you've just watched netflix for 2 hours i'm sorry but you just can't you won't you'll have no luck and then you'll feel anxious about it and go to bed anxious, have a terrible night's sleep, wake up with a headache and the process will continue. Take it from me. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it takes one to know one. So yeah. if that's the case and you, and you write really compellingly about this and kind of show us how things that I don't even notice the noise, the noise is so noisy. So. You know we can't screech into our prayer time or or approach God with our hair on fire. I mean sometimes I do, and he knows that, but in general, yeah, as a yeah. daily discipline or a daily experience, you have some very practical ideas of how how do we do that so if someone listening who's like, yes, i it is so noisy, so everywhere I go, it's noisy. You even talk about noise pollution of schools near airports yeah. that yeah. kids like we don't even we don't even know how loud the world is because it's become our default so let's say we're acknowledging that absolutely we know there's an issue we know it it doesn't jive with the slower pace of of prayer or just beholding prayer so what do we do in between the person who's running a million miles an hour and you as our seasoned coach how do yeah. we begin?
1: Well, I would say the first thing to do, if I was going to build a life from where to go with prayer in a realistic sense, because I'm not a great example, which is a bit unfair, is that... But you removed... are a great
0: example because you do, I know the the health crisis is a particular moment or a particular mm. part of your story, but you, as you said, you're a dad, you're a husband, you have three kids yeah, yelling true. all the time, same. You also have... Um, demands on your time and you love the news you said you're kind of interested in international news and so even like following that that could take your whole ding dong day so you are a good example you are not with all happy respect you're not a monk (laughs) you're like living in our life so coach us
1: true okay okay on a good day for me if i was taking all that into account i start my day by getting up if i can get up earlier than my kids i do that sometimes You know, sometimes if I get up early, I get a migraine for the day, so I've got to watch it. If I can get up even half hourly with the kids, I'll make a coffee. I'll just sit in a chair, I'll drink my coffee, and I'll just say, God, I'm I'm here. I love you. I want to be with you. And I just try and focus my heart's attention on him. You know what? Sometimes I can't keep focused for more than 10 seconds at a time. And when that happens, I just say the word Jesus as a, a word to bring me back into focus. Now when I say the word Jesus. I imagine that I'm invoking all of his presence. So it's not just a mental exercise. I kind of say it in my heart, like, Jesus, like your presence, I'm aware of you. And I'll just sit with my coffee and I'll just, in my heart, gaze upon his loving kindness. I don't always have an image in my mind. Um, And I'll try and do that. If I can do that for 10, 15 minutes, normally that's a win. One of my kids The morning is the hardest time for him. And I love him. He just struggles. So he gets up, he's angry. He's, you know, he just doesn't, he's a, he's a highly sensitive kid and he's, you know, something's sort of sorted him out. So a lot of the time I'm sitting there while there's madness screaming and carrying on, but I just sit there and I'm not going to finish my coffee. I'm going to do this. So that's actually my primary. That's how I begin my day. Just trying to focus my heart on God. I removed all notifications off my phone. So I don't get notifications from emails, social media, um, anything. And I've got a sitting. That's a wonderful.
0: I highly 10 out of 10 recommend that. You don't need to know. It'll wait.
1: It will save your brain, like literally Mm -hmm. save your brain. 100%. Um, and that includes removing the little red dots off your um, things, because those red dots are actually scientifically proven to create an emergency response in your brain, which gives you a dopamine hit and adrenaline, and you get addicted to those. It's crazy. So remove all that so that I'm not getting constantly interrupted during the day. Um, and then what I just do throughout the day is I just try and turn my heart toward God. I mean, that's all prayer is. It's the turning of the heart's attention toward God. And I do that by just I might say the word Jesus. I'll often just say, hey, God, you know, at any time I can remember. And what that does is it trains the mind. It trains the mind to start experiencing everything we do as if God's with us. And that's what beholding is. Beholding is simply living our lives in the view of God. Um, in the Orthodox tradition, they, they talk about this being like a mother with their child. You know, if there's a child in the room, if you're with a parent, it's like they, they're completely focused on you. But they're also very attentive to what their children are doing. And if I don't know if you've been with a with a parent and their kids go quiet for like 15 seconds, you know, the kids have been screaming that your kids screaming that they're they're okay. They're okay. We don't care. You know, it could be they'll be fine. But when they go quiet, 20 seconds parents like, Where's my my child? (laughs) Yeah. So so beholding is like that. It's just simply training our minds to be conscious of God as we go about our lives. And the way I do that is just by Every time I can think, I turn my heart back to God. I say, "Hey, God." So, and then at night time, I don't watch any TV an hour before bed. Um, that's to let my mind unwind and rewire, um, and so that I can sit with God just for a little bit and just be in my body and be present to lower my, you know, my um, nervous system, so that when I enter sleep, I'm entering into a state of stillness, which is also another form of prayer. So, just things like that. Um, I don't. I try not to watch, you know, things that. Um, don't include, you know, I don't want to watch violence or, you know, I don't need that stuff in my soul. All that's going to do is muddy the waters and I won't be able to see and experience God. So there's just things like that. Um, not not that complicated. I think, you know, don't pick up your phone when you're standing in line at the supermarket or, do you know, what I mean, just drive to the speed limit. You know, some of the stuff is just common sense, but actually it's really hard to do. It takes a lot of work to remove the reflex of, you know, the amount of people I see out at dinner and their partner goes to the toilet, boof, straight out on the phone. Totally. It's like, I cannot spend two minutes waiting, you know? So I think totally. I think if you can think of the, the little gaps in your life that are used by media or the news and just give them to God, you would be amazed. You think you got no time. Actually, we have more time than we know. Just we spend it on stuff that isn't good for us. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I hope that's helpful. That's sort of it some is of my so framework. Helpful.
0: It is so helpful. The idea of slowing, I really think there. that's the first money shot. I have realized since finishing your book, the very tiny margins I build in between things. which is ridiculous. Like I work right up to the moment. I have to go get someone from school and then I go five miles per hour over to get to the school. Like all of those things. If I start, as I've started to pay attention to that, you're exactly right. I am doing this to myself. Sometimes I am packing it full. Um, and there's, it's very difficult to say, Hey God, if you're like, God, I'm late, I'll talk to you later. So, it's um, true. It's yeah.
1: true. And you know what? Most of the time that we actually experience God's presence is in the processing of things that we experience in life. It's in taking, like, taking even three minutes after a meeting to say, Where were you, God, in that meeting? Or thank you, God, for this and for that. We don't process with God. We do. But actually, you would be amazed how much of the intimacy between God and us and our vulnerability and our repentance happens by processing things immediately as after all, before we go through them. And I, and yeah, so I love what you're saying. I think that back-to-back meeting thing, I used to do it in church. I just spoke at a um, national pastors conference this week. And I said to them, the worst thing I think we can do as ministers of gospel is book a number of coffees a day, you know, back-to-back meetings. It's unfaithful to our souls. It's unfaithful to the person and it's unfaithful to the spirit. And I could see them looking at me. It was like, Gasps entered the room, you know, because poor pastors—they have so much. I feel so sorry for them; so much work to do. But I, I do think that there's an unfaithfulness in that to our awareness of God, and um, yet we treat time as if as if we are in control of it, like we can just, you know, book it up and manipulate it, and that we can survive it. But our bodies were made to go slow; we weren't made to live at hyper speed. And in that processing with God is where depth really occurs. Um, so we got to do it. Yeah, that's a good way of saying. I love it.
0: Okay. Before I let you go, I have two questions. I have a two parter question that I ask all of our guests. The first is what is a book that you return to over and over that you recommend? You recommended another book earlier in the podcast, but is there one that you reach for over and over and say to friends, you've got to read this book. And then the two second part, part B, is there a book on your shelf, um, that you're looking forward to tucking into. And I would also like to say, since you are a professional musician, if you would rather answer this in terms of music, have at it.
1: Oh, amazing. Well, true story. I don't actually listen to music, um, oh. which is crazy. I know. And do you know what? I just saw this interview with David Bowie the other day, because I've always felt like a, yeah. like a total broadster, because I hardly yeah. ever listen to music. Um, and do you know what? David Bowie said the same thing. Them. bro that i'm claiming it i'm claiming it yeah he said i don't even listen to music he's like i don't even really like music the only reason i write records is to get what's the philosophy and the ideas that's in the oh, me i could not believe it i almost fell over backwards i was like i'm not alone um, so books, you so, and dave. um yeah, yeah me and dave um so what are some books that i love i mean there's a book um probably the book that has spoken to me the most, and I'm sure it won't be like this for everybody. Uh, but there's a book called The Cloud of Unknowing, um, which is, is sort of a, it's basically a, I can't even explain it. It's sort of Dark, dark Night of the Soul meets prayer as um, engaging with God as mystery. Okay. it's written in the 14th century, I, I believe, by an unknown author. Um, just the most beautiful book. But probably not. It might be the deep end for people. Um, you know, if you're listening and you haven't read much 14th, 14th century, uh, we fully, I
0: fully, I'm super excited about people who are reading. I feel like there's something we get from reading dead people. (laughs) I'm serious, especially in the space of faith. People have been asking all these questions for millennia. So we are silly to think, well, we should just limit to the last five years. That's not a good move. So I love this. I do feel for this unknown author who is still absolutely helping us and selling books. And we don't even know who it is. Okay.
1: Well, that's how they like it back then, eh? Um <laughs> totally. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a book that I've returned to a number of times and has just fed my soul. Um and what was the other question? A book. What was Maybe the second that's book on question? the
0: horizon, something that you were oh, looking forward to reading.
1: Oh yeah. I just bought like 10 books and I'm mm. all sitting there, but um one I just bought is actually Eugene Peterson's biography. Okay. Um, I've had a number of people read, I think it's called A Burning in My Bones. A yes. number of people have recommended that. And uh, I've been trying to get it for months and it just arrived. And so I'm looking oh, forward to wonderful. reading that. It's been a while that's since on I've my read list a good too. biography. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll that's let you know great. how it goes.
0: Okay, good. Maybe yeah.
1: that'll be my next recommendation.
0: Okay, fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for that. We will definitely put that all in the show notes so people can find what you are reading and have read. John, I am so grateful for what you're doing. I'm very sorry for how you had to come to do it. I am, I don't, I think you you. would say the same thing. That's not the way you would want this to all come to fruition or come to a beautiful spot, but man, the land that you have scoped out for us is really beautiful land. And I'm sorry for all the miles that got you there, But I'm also so grateful that as our brother, you are saying, look at what's down the road for you if you will open yourself up to it. So thank Mm -hmm. you for being, I don't know, we didn't even, I didn't even ask you how in the world you wrote a book when you were sometimes bedridden. (laughs) That's for another conversation, but thank you for doing it. I know it must have cost you. And I am saying thank you for doing that. And thank you for writing this down and for road testing all of these things. Um, mm-hmm. we can trust you that this is worthwhile and that you're taking cues you. from the God who wired you and wired me and wants this kind of depth of a relationship um, with us. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for this beautiful book and for this conversation.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a real gift to me too. I appreciate it.
0: Yowza, right? This is kind of messing with me, this idea of how to, as Strawn says, gaze at God while he gazes at us. But I'm trying it out, you guys, and I'm kind of gobsmacked at what feels like a new wide spot in the road. Strawn writes in his book, Beholding, I think we'd be shocked to hear what God longs to talk with us about if we just took a little more time to ask and wait. Ask and wait. A little less yapping, Kim. A little more listening, a little less laundry list, and a little more silence. Try it out, friends. Tell me what you find. I'm a newbie here, too, so we're on this walk together. Thank you for sharing this particular stretch with me. I know you have a lot of options for what comes into your ears, and I am ever grateful and honored to share these moments with you. If you would be so kind, please rate and review so that we can help other people find out about the conversations like this one. Also, please rate and review so I can stop asking you to rate and review. Amen and amen. That's it for today. Thanks for being here. And come back soon so we can continue learning really great stuff together. For real.